what is happening senders welcome back to another episode of the segment podcast this is episode 89 of the segment podcast with special guest tom place from outbound lights now i've never done a night ride before and i knew nothing about lighting for the mountain bike and for your helmet for the trails and tom was able to jump on the show and really just educate us on what it takes to have these nice lights with you when you're out on the trails doing these night rides. So definitely there is no price on safety in quality products when you're out and about at night is huge. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and learn a thing or two from Tom from Outbound Lights. As we jump into the episode, I do wanna say thank you so much to the supporters of the segment podcast. First and foremost, always thank you to YT Industries, YT live uncaged also a special thank you going out to ssb keeping that yt fleet nice and clean with sand sports brothers ultimate spray and wash it simply is the best you could spray that stuff all over the bike and not have to worry about contaminating the rotors or breaking down the seals ssb's ultimate spray and wash is simply the best also big big thank you going out to tasco tasco for the mountain bike gear the gloves the kits Tasco is made by writers for writers, as you know. In the description links below, I do have a 10% off code for you to use for anything on the Tasco website. Also, big thank you going out to Spy Optic. Spy Optic, keeping your eyes clear and protected and vibrant while you're out on the trails or in lifestyle. If you take a look at spyoptic.com and you see any kind of lifestyle or sportwear that you like, please use the promo code there in the description below and save yourself a buck or two on that as well. Also, big thank you for the protection going out to Dionese. Dionese for the protection that you'll see me in with the full face helmet, the Linnea 01, one of the lightest weight full face helmets out on the market. Also, the knee pad and elbow pads you can get the Oxitec technology behind the products there are just simply amazing so hope you guys can take a look at any one of the supporters of the segment podcast and save a buck or two without further ado let's jump on into the show and learn about outbound lights all right what is happening everybody welcome to episode 89 of the segment podcast with special guest tom place from Outbound Lights. What's up, Tom? How's it going? Yes, I love it, dude. So I this was actually Joey Yates's idea. He goes, he texts me and he says, Mark, the time is going to change very, very soon. We've never done a night ride together. We should find a light company that can teach us a little bit about riding at night, what kind of gear there is available. And uh, so I put a, a kind of a beacon out to companies that do lighting and Tom was one of the first ones to follow up and say, Hey man, I'll jump on the podcast. Love to teach you all a little bit about outbound lighting. It's a small company located out of Chicago. And there are Tom was there like four, four employees in total. Yeah. Four of us total running, and, running the show and kicking some butt and kicking some butt, which I love. And we're going to get into a lot of the products there that they have, but also hear Tom's story and the love of, the love that he has for mountain biking um, and the chat is always awesome. So uh, feel free, everyone just uh, pop in and what's up, Craig MTB raging is in. He says, tick, tick, boom, uh, MTB mini bomber. What's up? Sweet intro. Thank you. Thank you. That is Mr. Matthew. Oh, Lauren con Zarek. What's happening? Miami is in the house. I love that. 
Welcome, Lori. Good to see you. MTB Tank. Epic. MTB Tank is a local out here from what I, I just learned. Right and dirty. We got Arizona in the house, Tom. What's All up, right. Big Eric? What's up, brother? Trail Pimp. What's up, Trail Pimp? Out of Northern California, the Tahoe area. Always good to see you. We got uh, Chicken Sendies in the house. YouTube celebrity Chicken Sendies is tuning in. Dude, thank you for popping on, brother. And, uh, and of course, we have Tom. So, Hey, Tom, let, let's talk a little bit about you as a writer and uh, wh where do you live and what do you like to ride? I like to ride bikes. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, <laughs> I started riding when I was living in North Carolina and I rode a lot out in Pisgah in Western North Carolina. So very, very uh, rough, raw, not a lot of features, not a lot of flow. It just kind of beats the crap out of you. And I... You know, that's what I started on. So I kind of loved that. Um, yeah. And uh, lots of trails where it's like the goal is to clear as much of the downhill as possible, because at some point you're coming off the bike. <laughs> uh, oh, God. And uh, yeah, then I moved out to Arizona. I was living in Scottsdale for um, almost three and a half years and very different riding. Um, and I like that, too, because there's lots of sharp rocks and still pretty rough if you're on the right places but had also a lot of technical climbing which we did not have out east and so i started to actually enjoy climbing up features that were you know they were difficult not just gravel roads yeah um, and that made me a, a more well-rounded rider i think and then uh last summer moved up to olympia washington so now yeah, again man. back to the rainforest um like north carolina and it's totally different where there's not kitty litter anywhere you know the summer gets pretty dusty for two months but the rest of the year it's it's wet and um the trails all have really well supported berms and lots of trail builders up there and just tons of amazing riding so it's been pretty awesome connecting with that that whole community up there and i love i love riding chunky rough stuff and steep stuff that's kind of been my um the thing that's that's kept my attention the longest Man, you moved to the right spot. That's so good. Now, when you were in the East Coast and you were riding out there, you know, we I've seen how how gnarly those trails are and how like mean they look. Or were you on did you did you start on a hardtail or were you on a dual suspension bike? What what were you on back there? I, I did start on a hardtail actually. No, stop my, it. <laughs> uh, my buddy was trying to get me into mountain biking for for years and um he finally convinced me to buy a surly karate monkey that was set up single speed and wait wait uh, tom tom say that again i love that the surly karate monkey oh baby <laughs> <I love> that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was, it was a good bike um but he's you know steel hardtail single speed with a fox 32 80 mil fork up front it was not um, an immensely capable downhill machine, but it was a good place to learn because I really hated derailers. Like I hated having floppy things on the bike and I felt like having, um, you know, single speed, let me stand up and mash and, and pay more attention to the the trail than the bike, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I very quickly got up to full suspension and realized, oh, there is value in this. Yeah, I can go a lot faster and it doesn't kill me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty good. I've heard a lot of people when they start with a hardtail and they really learn the trails that when they go to a dual suspension, it makes them just a better rider because there's no cheating. Like, you know, when you make a mistake with a hardtail, right? Correct. Yeah. It's I, what I found instantly is I, you know, my first full suspension was a Niner WFO. You know, I've been riding for 12, 13 years, something like that. Um, 
And that bike was like the supposedly the first 29er full suspension that got geometry right. Uh-huh. And it didn't, but it was still a lot faster in a straight line than my my hardtail. And the first time I rode it, first trail that I'd ridden a ton, I immediately blew a corner and went right into a tree because I had no feedback for how fast I was going because oh. I wasn't getting knocked around. Oh. And I didn't realize that I was not going to make the corner. Um, so <laughs> Coming in too uh, hot. Too yeah, hot. I had to uh, change my riding a little bit. <laughs> Dang, man, that's that's super cool. So getting the dual suspension, you got the Niner, and then you start moving out west little by little. Um, at what point did you did you come across outbound lights? How did that whole transition happen? Yeah, I, I'll I'll condense this a lot, but essentially, I am a mechanical electrical engineer, and I um, I just like lighting came from my dad being an architect I, we talk about lighting all the time and i liked playing with leds and technology and so i got a job at at cree um it's a major led manufacturer in durham north carolina and okay. um, they developed a reputation early on for within the portable lighting space so basically every high power flashlight or basically every bike light in the industry that you would find had a cree led in it um, interesting and wow. so I spent a ton of time playing with that stuff. And then when I got in there working in R&D, I was working on, um, you know, chip design to better uh, improve current spreading uniformity so that when you had these like really tight narrow beam flashlights for like search and rescue stuff, uh-huh. it was more uniform and you had a higher peak intensity. And, you know, just like, cause I thought that was fun, not because the market demanded it necessarily. And um, then when I got, you know, my first mountain bike, I, you know, mountain biking very quickly. I was like, oh, well, duh, I could do this at night. Sure. Um, so I started playing with with lights and um, making my own stuff. But eventually when I moved into um, our global applications engineering team, I was running our, our lab essentially. So all of our big customers from around the world would, would send us fixtures to get metrology on them to, and then to basically tell them how to fix certain aspects of it where they might have one issue where you know, this LED is always um, overheating and blowing up or mm. uh, their beam pattern is clipping on the corners. So they're not getting the full uniformity they need here or there's color separation or whatever. Wow. And we would advise them on how to fix that either with different LED choice or different optic choice or um, a better thermal interface material or, or what have you. Um, and Dude, that full on engineer terminology, bro. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I told you to rein me in if I start rambling. <laughs> um, yeah, the, uh, but uh, that's where I started reaching out to bike light companies because I wanted to help. I I reached out to you know Night Rider, Light in Motion, um, Exposure, Glowworm, etc. And um, Glowworm and Exposure are the only ones to actually respond. Actually, Light in Motion responded and said, "Yay, we're good, thanks." Um, and uh, the other two were were great, and I actually really enjoyed getting to know both those groups of people um and you know still communicate with them for many years before because it was after i left cree um that i got into actual bike lights and um i figured there's enough space there and there's you know still plenty of um advancement to do because there just hasn't been the the push i'd say from the the industry side to do something more 
you know, like mountain bike suspension, there's a push to find yeah. better pedaling performance, better, right. more supple downhill performance. So you see the O chain to get rid of pedal kickback. Like there's always a push yes. for that. But for lights, I think that the industry has not done a very good job of, of educating consumers about what matters in a light and what can be done. And so most lights tend to be pretty similar. Um, and so that's why I took a leap and decided to get into it. And um, long story short, fell flat on my face in the first six months, took a, another engineering job and then found uh, Matt um, who had started Outbound. And Matt is the the founder and uh, a majority owner. He He's kind of the the machine that that runs this company. He's you know the optical design engineer, so we design all of our optics in house, and um, he you know, he pays I, th I think it's twelve thousand dollars a year for the software to or for like a three month window to, to simulate the optics so that we can tweak and tune for Good every given product. And he does that. He also uh, sets up our entire website and optimizes our search engine and. Um, deals with our supply chain management and uh, sets up automation for our assembly line. And, you know, he, he's just this really creative design. He does the mechanical design too. We kind of um, go back and forth on that, but he's the one, the driving force. And um, at any rate, he had this, this, he launched the company, he launched a product and it was the only thing in the industry that was actually trying to make a custom optic to do something better uh, for oh, wow. bike riding specifically. So I, reached out to him and said, Hey, this is awesome. It looks like you're going to stick around. Let's work together. I think I can help. And, um, essentially we just have these kind of complementary skill sets where the stuff like, you know, he's not a, he's not a bike industry person, but I am. So right. I can come in and bring kind of the voice of the rider and the connections to the people in the industry and, um, work with OEMs and, um, that side of it. And then, you know, the stuff that, I suck at, he's good at, and vice versa. So we were kind of like a, a two-man wrecking crew sort of for for a while. And then um, we've got Andy. He's actually been on um, for uh, at least two years now. It's been a while. Andy does all of our um, assembly in-house in Chicago. Um, and, uh, and then Lauren just came on board, and she's helping with a bunch of different stuff from assembly, packaging, financial planning, um, helping me thankfully with customer service emails, because, um, you know, even if there's not things going wrong, we still get a lot of questions all the time. Um, yeah. it's, like, uh, what, like one of mine, would somebody like to go onto the podcast? <laughs> yeah, like, pretty much. Yeah. That's, that's one of them that day I had to answer. And, um, you know, thankfully that's an easy one, but, uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's how I got here. And um, so far it's worked out pretty well, let's say. So kids, that's a good takeaway. Don't don't uh, cheat yourself at school. These guys are engineers, uh, both of them, uh, Matt and Tom. Uh, Tom, so you're you're like running the show at at this company. It's got to pay really well, but you have this like urge, this pull to go out and chase something in the bike industry to help push the lighting for the industry and for the riders. When you said you took your first leap and you fell on your face, was that a solo leap? Did you? go out and try to start something up or what no what you do um, and so well and just to clarify that Cree Cree's a massive company like six thousand employees so I was I was in a a well-paid healthy high management position but still still way way down on that ladder um it was a very comfortable job that I could have stayed at forever and been very happy um but I wanted to 
I wanted to do something different. And I, I really didn't want to take the risk. Like I, I could like the idea of being an entrepreneur, but I did not, not want to have to go out and fight for my paycheck every day. Mm-hmm. I liked having a salary and benefits and, you know, that, that cozy safety blanket, you know? Oh yeah. Those um, golden handcuffs. Yeah. They're delightful um, and comfy. <laughs> yeah. Another 10 years or so, maybe I would have had those. Handcuffs. <laughs> but, um, no, I, I left that job and took a um, 50% pay cut to go oh. um, try to work with industry nine to make oh, lights. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. I nine. Okay. Yeah. So they're, you know, they're semi-local they're out in Nashville. So they're three and a half hours from where I was living and, you know, in the middle of Pisgah, love the riding there. They love night riding. They have just insane epic night rides. Like, go shuttle up 2000 feet and ride 5000 feet of descending and with a big grill and cook burgers and fries until two in the morning and then go up work at 8am. So <laughs> and do it again. I, yeah, I, that- I liked that that mantra. And so I, I jumped at the opportunity. And essentially, we had, um, there's a lot of things that didn't go well. Um, we we had kind of different visions for what we wanted to do and we weren't really aligned on our approach to get there. That was ultimately the biggest problem. But gotcha. one major problem that I had from the beginning is I thought, okay, I, I love industry nine because they make really like beautiful, well-crafted high-end high precision parts. I could come in and make the ultimate of ultimate bike lights that does everything and it's perfect and amazing. And because they already have this brand where they do that, they could handle the manufacturing and people would buy in and be like, Oh, well, if industry nine is making it, it's going to be good. Right. And so I thought, all right, let's go right off the bat, you know, make the most awesome of everything. And um, the problem with that is, is something called feature creep where you need a minimum viable product, something that works. And then you think, Ooh, what if I added a wireless remote to that? Ooh, I can add an OLED screen to that. Oh, I could have speed oh, sensitive control. I can have variable beam pattern creeping in. And all of a sudden you've got so much stuff that you never actually create something that works. You're just right. always working on adding more and more stuff into it. And um, you sit on the bike and you go OTB because of all the weight. <laughs> yeah. Or, or you just never get out on the bike because you're always working on the design. It was just, gotcha. um, yeah, that was a mistake on my part. And so we just, we didn't get off the ground and six months in we parted ways. And um, I just kept looking for opportunities and, you know, reached out to a few different companies within the bike industry that I thought would be pretty cool if they had lights in their, in their portfolio. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, like one up components, um, they make awesome stuff. They make really, you know, the stuff that doesn't exist, that's unique and different. They, they make it. And they basically said, yeah, well, we, we make what we ride and we don't night ride because we switched to snow sports in the winter. Oh. <laughs> um, so they just, you're like, yeah, you know, it's electronics, it's complicated. We're pretty happy with where we are. I mean, we'll help however we can, but you know, it's not really something we're, we're in for. And it's like, I respect that. Okay. Yeah. So I just kept looking and eventually found, uh, found Matt, thankfully. And this has been way better because we have learned a lot from that, that process. Um, I didn't want to fall on my face, but I, I learned how to not do that again, let's say. Yeah. And some of the most important lessons in life is to fall on your face because then, you know, I should have taken a left instead of a right. And now I know the next time that comes up, man, I'm taking that left. Mm -hmm. And now when you met Matt, was he at a, so you said he's not really into the bike industry, but was he, how how did he, how did you guys cross paths? 
the internet. Um, I was just looking around and saw he had his, um, he started on Kickstarter, but then, excuse me, he had his website come up after that and he got past the, the Kickstarter curse where it's like six months and then they never deliver anything and they disappear. Like he was delivering product and he was still selling and customers seemed to be happy. He had lots of good reviews. And so I just dropped him an email. And, and funny thing is we actually never met in person until 11, I think it was like 11 months later. Um, and we had never spoken on the phone. Wow. Um, we just communicated via Facebook messenger and emails. And so we were just sending files back and forth and solid works. And, um, he was sending me parts and we were mocking stuff up and we did that. And then I finally flew out for the first product we launched together. And at this time I wasn't even like an employee. I was still working a full-time job and then doing this on the side because I wanted to stand it up and make it happen. Yeah. And, yeah. um, when I, when we first started produce like the first production run of our hangover helmet light, I flew out to, um, to Chicago and desoldered a thousand resistors and put a thousand new ones on because there was one resistor that was wrong <laughs> and Whoa. we had to get stuff out. We were already behind and it's just like, all right, let's, let's go. So I flew out there and he picked me up from the airport and I was like, Oh yeah, we, we haven't actually met. Yeah. He's not going to drive me to the lake and kill me. This actually is a good dude. <laughs> yeah. At that point, I had plenty of indication that he was a stand-up guy. But yeah. Um, yeah, it was a very strange experience. Um, But yeah, it's worked out pretty well. Bro, that's awesome, man. That is so cool. And then um, getting into the, the light. So here we are, two engineers putting their minds together, uh, one coming from the bike world with a passion to uh, push the sport forward. I mean, literally, when you think about night riding, this is something I've never done. And I just saw somebody in the chat said that they've never done either. Uh, Chicken Sendies, there he is, out of Illinois. He says, I've never gone on a night ride. Absolutely love to do someday. Yeah, same, same. So you have like, I just love the idea of like the kids are in bed or, you know, everything's done for the day. Cause a lot of times we get out there and you're racing the clock, you're racing, you know, the sun setting, you're just getting off work, whatever it is, but a night ride, you, you go out after dinner, maybe kids are in bed. Yeah. No one's really missing you. You can go out and just have some fun. So I love the night, right? You can literally stay out all night. And so I love the concept of this and, uh, and the time is changing. Um, and I saw, uh, Johnny, you from Miami was just like, he's like, I just was walking the dock and you started all over. So, uh, basically this is Tom. He was a super, super mountain biker on the East coast, moving West all, all the way through, found himself with outbound lights with Matt. And here they are today. Something like that. <laughs> but <laughs> but let's get into some of these products because um, Outbound Lights is small, but man, you guys have a history with you in the bike industry. I mean, as we're talking to you, you are in your van at an event in Utah. Tell the folks real quick, what are you doing out there? Yeah, we, um, we don't do a whole lot of events because I'm the one who does all the events in addition to the uh, customer emails and texts and phone calls and social media posts and the electrical design and half of the supply chain management and media. And anyways, any small company, you wear a lot of hats. So this is a sprinter actually that um, I built out with a buddy of mine um, from industry nine, actually uh, Jeremy, who's uh, incredibly skilled and creative. And he actually designed a guitar, which um, we put some lights into. Um, 
Let's see if I can show this real quick. Yeah. So oh, yeah. he makes these machined acrylic bodies and aluminum necks with carbon fiber fretboards. And I thought, okay, that needs to be lit up and we need to have a <laughs> light fixture in the van. So there that, we go. So he, guitar he, is dope. he designed this out. I did all the wiring and programming and, and lighting. And then we built this together between the two of us. We got probably 500 hours in this van. Um, and this is set up so that I can do my, you know, I can do actual engineering work. So I've got a nice big screen here that I can, you know, fold out and actually nice. sit at a desk with a, um, you know, a mouse and a keyboard and do CAD work and uh, can sleep comfortably. And um, so right now I'm at uh, in Virgin, just outside the, the Rampage site uh, oh, yeah. for 25 hours of Frog Hollow uh, because it's, you know, 24 hour race. You have to have lights, right? Um, right. and this is a really good opportunity for people to uh, to demo stuff, to take a lap and turn it back in and see how it compares to their setup or just rent a set for the event or, um, you know, what have you. It's, it's a good opportunity to check them out. And I also really like it because you get to, I, I like solving problems and something is always going wrong. You've got hundreds of people on a 24 hour race. People are tired. They're sloppy. They make mistakes. Things break you got to solve problems. So mm -hmm. we have a neutral charging station here and I have a whole bunch of parts from other brands of lights because, you know, I do competitive analysis and I collect things over the years. And um, basically somebody goes out on the trail and they're riding a night rider and they break their mount. Cool. Swing by. I'll give you a new one and send you back out. Damn, Tom, that's cool. It's, it's, it's really fun. It's exhausting, but it's it, the 24 hour events are pretty cool. So I'm down here for the weekend and then, um, driving back up and back to work love it man love the commitment so god let's <clears throat> let's hop in to some of these oh budo dave is in budo dave uh he was one of the cameramen for the ufc he's also a mountain biker so good he says oh man night rides are so fun even the mellowest trails become an adventure yeah dude i've i've heard of stories that you do things at night and then you go back in the daytime you're like i can't believe i'd send that <laughs> But you make it. Joe Pip is saying before work too early morning before the sun comes out is nice too. Ooh, that's a good one. Also very important in Arizona in the valley. Like when I was living in, in Phoenix area, you had to get up before the sun came up or you weren't gonna ride in the middle of the summer. Yeah, here's exactly right here. Trail monster. What's up, trail monster? Also at Arizona he says, We night right here in so and so Arizona because it finally gets down to cool 95 degrees at around 10 p.m. in the summertime. My goodness. Yep. My goodness. Just right when it dips below 100, that's the time. Get out there. Get out there and go. And then I saw Lauren, she digs your your setup. She says, Kit from the show Night Rider has entered the show. <laughs> Might have to name that van Kit, bro. <laughs> okay, so um, Joey, let's uh, let's get into some of the lights and, and talk about it. And then there's questions in here in the chat. I do want to make sure we get to um, a couple just to kind of like, you know, just to kind of lay it up a little bit. Uh, somebody had said, I think it was UO SoCal. What's up, Danny? Good to see you here. He says, I have two Knight Rider 900 lights, one on helmet and one on bars. So he has he has those. Um, um, mountain bike Q&A, Mr. Johnny U, he says, only trail, wait, only one trail, oh, only one trail, always monthly night rides in South Florida. Need a really bright light. So that will help us get into some of the lumens and what that means when we're out there. And I think, Joey, did I miss one? Is there another one out there? Um, or someone oh, asking about helmet and handlebar lights. There you go. Yes. Yeah, trail you go. pimp. 
Cheryl Pimp, thank you, Mehdi, for the question there. Do you, do you just do helmet or So a lot of great things for us to cover as we get into the products. Um, Joey has, it looks like a pair of lights here by Outbound that's set up to go. Um, Tom, what are we looking at here? What is this one? Yeah, so to Trail Pimp's question, um, yeah, so this is our handlebar light and our helmet light. So we, you, you'll find a lot in the bike industry in particular that a lot of lights are just a bike light. They're not necessarily designed to be mounted one location or the other, okay. um, which is versatile, but um, it basically is kind of, um, it's making the Mazda three of lights where it's like pretty, it's okay at everything, but not really good at any one thing. Um, and so what we're trying to do is make lights specifically for the type of riding and where they're going to be mounted. So we have a helmet light that's optimized around that and a bar light the same. And, um, that right there is our helmet light um, or down on the right uh, for the people who can actually see it. Um, and essentially what we're trying to do here is uh, make it low profile so that, you know, if you live in, in uh, Pacific Northwest or out in North Carolina where low tree branches are a concern, um, you want that weight lower down to your helmet so that you're less likely to clip them. And so you don't feel it bobbing back and forth in your head as much. Oh, um, wow. And then, uh, we also want that to be very small and and lightweight in general, um, so you don't have the strain on your neck, um, which is, you know, for longer rides in particular. Um, but then more importantly, and I think this is something that we kind of do differently from a lot, is um, we think a handlebar light is really important. And that's mainly because of where it's mounted. And when it's below, when, you're, when your light is mounted below your eye line, it casts shadows out and you end up looking down into those shadows. So basically you've got a bunch of roots and rocks on your trail yeah. sticking up out of the ground. When you have just a handlebar light shining on them, it looks three-dimensional. So it looks like rocks sticking out of the ground. If you take that same light and just move it up above your, onto the top of your helmet, what happens is now all those shadows are gone. And that means that everything just kind of looks flat. You can still see that there are rocks and roots there, but you can't tell if they're flush with the dirt or if they're sticking up six inches or, or what have you. Um, and so essentially what that means is that if you have too powerful of a helmet light, or if you're only running helmet light, it becomes harder to read your trails accurately unless you really know them really well. Um, Interesting. So we, we designed our handlebar light to be kind of the primary. And um, another big reason for that is that when you're riding, you know, your helmet is always pointed where you're looking. And yeah, that means right. that, you can use a narrower beam where it's just lighting up the section that you're looking at uh, more or less. We still like to have a, a gradual fall off for reasons I can get into later, but you can have a narrower beam because you're controlling where it's going, but your handlebars are never quite pointed where you want them to go. So if you're, if you're turning into a switchback, you may have to like swing wide to get on the high line to make the corner. So uh -huh. Now you're car steering into the turn. So you might be going that way, but your bars are pointing a little bit this way. Right. If you have a narrow beam handlebar light, what happens is it doesn't take much. You turn your bars just a little bit. The light is now off the trail and you can't see where you're going very well. Oh, and, man. And your uh, pupils are probably like super dilated. So when it goes from light to dark, you're probably like, where did the switchback go? <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's that's another thing, too, is if you've got this bright spot on the trail, way down trail, and then you turn and you've got like trees on the side of your trail, bright green leaves. Now the bright light is shining off something much closer to you and more reflective. And so you get this flash off the side of the trail too, which causes your pupils to constrict, 
which makes everything look darker and affects your your dark adaptation, your night vision. Right. Um, wow. So if you have a narrow beam, really high intensity bar light, it's really easy to lose your line because you're constant you're just seeing that and you're constantly losing your line and finding it again is more difficult. And you're getting a lot more kind of like strobe effects with it flashing off of closer objects. And that's worse for your eyes. It makes everything seem dimmer. God, uh, so what sense. we did with the bar light was make the beam super wide and very even. Oh, is this the one right here? Yep. Yeah. Holy so that's, cow. That's the, our Evo on the bars. And um, the, the picture isn't wide enough. This is actually um, my bike up on our local trails in Olympia. Um, right before the rains came is the last dusty ride of the season. But um, the idea is if you look at that, the trail is pretty evenly lit down um, and to the sides. And even you can see down below the handlebars there, like around the front wheel. Um, And and the reason for that is we want it to be even, not just a spot where your focus is drawn there. Um, And we want peripheral scatter because during the day, if you're riding that trail during the day, you can see all of that. Yeah, you may not yeah. think you need to see six feet off the trail or or the edges or those trees, but you can see it and it really helps with balance. Um, so if you're at night and you just have a, you know, just the trail in front of you lit up, um, you end up having less of a sense of balance. And a lot of times, especially on technical trails, you may need to see around where your front wheel is being positioned. And if you have to look down with your helmet light to see around your front wheel, that puts you in a really awkward position and it's, it's not natural. It's not how you normally ride, but right. if you can see it out of your peripheral, then you don't have to look down. You can just be looking ahead and still be able to tell if your wheel is to the left of that rock or about to hit it, you know? Right. Dang. Um, that's amazing, bro. That's, that's cool. That, that uh, light there, look, it, that said a lot to what you were describing. That, that was amazing. Johnny, you saying, wow, that looks amazing. How bright is that? There was a question. I think Johnny asked it. How many lumens is that? And how many lumens would you recommend? Yeah, so uh, I'll, I'll try to keep this discussion a little bit short, but lumens is um, is an important metric because it's, it's essentially telling you how much the total amount of light that's coming out of the front of the light. It doesn't tell you where it's going, what color it is, any of that. It just tells you how much total power is being, is how many photons are coming out. Gotcha. Uh, so if we have a really wide beam pattern, versus a narrow beam pattern. You can make a, a narrow one look brighter because you're focusing all those lumens in one spot. So it's higher mm-hmm. intensity. And for our bar light, we have to use a lot more lumens to illuminate a larger area because we're going wider. But we're also not trying to give you really bright, harsh spots because we want it to be nice and even because your eye will respond to the brightest thing in your field of view. Anyways, wow. I'm getting on some tangent. No, this is good. Lumens is important because it's it's a, a good relative measure of how much power your light is putting out, but it's not the end-all be-all. It's kind of like shopping bikes by how much suspension travel it has. Okay, gotcha. It's, more is not always better. If you're riding your local trails, then having a 200 mil downhill bike maybe isn't the best choice. Maybe it's going <laughs> to be sloppy and slow and a lot of bikes work. Heavy. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be heavy. Um, same token, you might not need 8,000 lumens for your local trail because in order for that to last for a two-hour ride, you've got to carry a big brick of a battery to make it last that long because you're using so much power. Yeah. Um, so what, yeah, what is the sweet spot? Because yeah, you want to you want to be able to have that spread, have it bright enough, but also be able to complete your ride. So there's got to be like a real tricky balance point there. Yeah, and I feel like I 
you know, the, the marketing side of me wants to give you an, an answer of like, well, our Evo and Hangover are the perfect sweet spot. That's why we designed them that way. Um, but honestly, like with everything like this, I feel like I have to put asterisks on all of it because it all totally depends on the type of rider you are, the type of terrain you're riding on, um, what kind of bike it is, a, you know, road bike, mountain bike, a trail bike, downhill bike, whatever. Um, so if you're if you're doing a local trail where you're averaging six miles an hour, and there's not a lot of gnarly downhills and you're just kind of, you know, taking your time. You don't need as much light. You don't need to see 400 feet down the trail if you're not going to be there in two seconds. Yeah. Um, but if you're on a, you know, like a Robert over at Biker Bar, a lot of his trails out in SoCal are pretty straight line. They're pretty fast. And so you can get up over 30, 35 miles an hour on a regular basis. For that, you need to see further down the trail. So having a more power and a narrow beam light to project down the trail is important. Um, and you know, for road biking, you don't need eight thousand lumens for a road bike ever. Period. Um, <laughs> the thing that's gonna out do the is, back, so people can see you when those are coming up on you. Maybe <laughs> exactly. And we can get into road biking another time. But uh, <laughs> suffice to say, it it matters what the beam pattern is and okay. and the type of riding plays into how many lumens you need in terms of like God. giving some people like uh, a rule of thumb or guidelines, you know, our Evo is around, um, we, we conservatively rate them. So Evo is probably around 2,500 lumens or so peak. Um, we, we say it's 2,200 minimum and then the hangover is 1,100 minimum. And the reason we have them balanced like that. So about 2,000 on the bars and about 1,000 on the helmet. Ooh, it's a yeah, lot of but, rotons. Yeah, we, we feel like that's a good optimization point for um, battery capacity and weight and trying to make something that's not gigantic and bulky to give you the balance of runtime and power, but not yeah. something that's powerful enough, but only for 30 minutes. So you can't really get a ride in. Um, that makes sense. That makes sense. It, it just as a point of reference, your car headlights, like your low beam headlights are about 1100 lumens a piece so holy cow if you can drive a car 80 miles an hour with 2000 lumens you ought to be able to ride your bike pretty well <laughs> three thousand lumens total it's just a matter of how those lumens get used and that's why we focus so much on the, the beam pattern because we think there's a lot to gain there that'll make for a better riding experience than than just blasting out as much light into a single spot as possible that makes sense especially when we talked about that earlier like a focus light sweeping back and forth across the trail is going to mess with your with your eyes versus something that's so nicely spread that yeah that it's just well, like your eyes are just loving it you know well and you want to be focused on the trail right and you want to be able to read it correctly at speed you know if the trail is coming at you 20 miles an hour you you've got to process what's underneath your bike and what's down the trail and what line you're taking if you've got these two like bouncing bright spots all over the trail, that's distracting. If you've got um, cables flopping around in front of your lights with glare, they're glaring into your eyes, that's distracting too. Yeah. If your light is, if the mount wiggles and you've got like a rubber shim in there and the light moves a little bit, your beam is now shaking up and down on the trail too. Oh my God, also it's hard enough in the daytime right. on some of these trails. Yeah. So we're just trying to eliminate as many different points of distraction so that you can be solely focused on what you're doing and you can see the trail better. It's And for us, it's not all about brightness because if we if we double the brightness, that may, that might make sense for some people and some, some writing applications. Um, but it's also going to come at a cost of either weight, size, battery capacity, 
and so on. So we're, right. we're trying to find um, pretty reasonable um, compromises there and, and optimize around biking, not just, you know, flashlights with bike mounts. I love it. I love it. Um, Lauren, Lauren's actually saying this is very illuminating. Yes, yes, yes. And then she says, I will see myself out. <laughs> Her husband, Johnny's on it too. Wow, that's bright. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> moving on to it. We did have a question here, Tom. I love all this information. This is awesome. Um, somebody had asked, okay, OGNYC. I, I know we're talking about like all this technology that goes into these lights. And what I love about what I see from Outbound is that there isn't like a separate battery pack. It's all one piece that is amazing. So you're not like, oh, put the battery pack somewhere else on business and fall off the bike. Um, but OGNYC is asking, best budget combo of helmet handlebar for trail riding. And I know not all lights are created equal. And based on what we talked about, there was a big spread of what we can get. Um, but for quality and uh, and budget, what what would you think here? Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to assume by the word budget that he's, he's not looking for the answer of, of our stuff. <laughs> but... Our, so our, we're trying to basically um, hit this this spot where we're offering something that is better than what's available, but not at a price that's insane. So like a company like Lupine is a they make exquisite lights from Germany. They also have a fourteen hundred dollar handlebar light. Holy crap! It's nuts. It's there's a limit to all this. It's completely bonkers. There's also um, companies like Magic Shine where they're always on sale all the time and they regularly overstate their power and you know they're kind of a chinese ripoff company that has done better recently i'll give them that they are making an effort and they're making at least reliable decent products now but their budget because they are just trying it's always on sale their february sale will end and they'll start their march sale um, gotcha so there's gotcha. there's options like that um but then there's you know a lot of uh, other you know like if you're talking about american companies in particular um you know, Knight Rider and Light in Motion have been the two big companies in the game for a while. And kind of because they, you know, they've been around for 20 plus years, they have the scale and, and whatnot to also drop their their prices some and, and make some more economical options. Um, by volume, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And like we, you know, for example, like on our Hangover Light, um, it's it's similar price to the Light in Motion um Pro Viz 1000 trail, whatever it's called. They're, they're thousand lumen self-contained light. Um, we added cost into our product by putting in a higher power charging system so that we can pass through charge so that you can charge from like a USB power bank while you're riding oh. and still have all the high output modes available. So oh, that, dang. you know, if like an hour and a half ride at, at high output isn't enough for you, you're going to do like a, a backpacking, bike packing adventure or whatever, or a 24 hour race like this you can plug it into a big power bank and kind of chase the internal charge to extend runtime, um, wow. which, which that light in motion has, but it'll only let you lose, use low output mode. Um, and so like that circuitry cost us money to put in the light. So our light costs more because of it. Um, that's where like it, you can get into the nitty gritty on details like that forever. But to answer his question that he asked like 20 minutes ago, um, right now, uh, I'd say honestly, the light in motion Sika comp um, is a self-contained light. Um, they have a 2000 lumen option and optic is not terrible. It's still pretty spotty, um, but at least does have some peripheral scatter. Um, it 
has a GoPro mount option, which I would definitely get and get a different mount because the rubber strap mount is just, it flops and moves around and drifts as you ride. And it's, it's not good for, particularly for rough trails, but that's a light right now. That's I think like 40% off and you know, it's a good economical bar light option. And then, um, for, for helmet lights, I actually think our light is our hangover is is in there. Um, but if you're looking for something sub a hundred bucks, then, um, you know, some of the Knight Rider Lumina, um, micros, uh, are, they're in that range. Their battery capacity is definitely limited. So you have to really be, you have to pay attention to runtime. So turn on low for the climbs and then turn on high for the descents. Um, but it's, it's small and it's, um, less expensive and it's a, at least a better light option to get you started. Like if, for example, if you're a new, new night rider, you've never ridden before and you're saying, I don't want to commit to like an outbound setup yet because I don't know if I'm going to like it. And I don't know how often I'll do it, whatever, any number of reasons you might have, then, um, something like that might be good because you can get a light for 80 to hundred bucks. Um, that's decent quality and maybe isn't the same level of performance you'd want, but it's not going to be cheap Amazon garbage, which is the only thing I'd say to avoid. Gotcha. gotcha. Pretty much every company that makes bike lights now makes decent products. They're just, you know, not as good as ours. Well, I think that Johnny, you has it uh, pegged right here. He says, can't put a price on safety for sure. And if you're going to put what, 5,000, 3,000 to 5,000, depending on the kind of bike you have 3,000 or 2,000 on up to whatever thousands of dollars on a bike. Yeah. I want to be able to have fun on that bike at a night ride. I want the best product that I can have when I'm out there. I don't want the thing to go off on me in the oh, middle yeah. of like a drop or something. Well, there's, there's two sides to that, right? There's like, if you have a $6,000 bike, then paying 300 bucks for the ability to see, I think seems reasonable. Um, but that aside, like what I really just, I just don't want people buying cheap crap off Amazon for that safety reason more than anything, because some of them are fine but you're it's really rolling the dice because they are they are manufactured to be as cheap as possible and there are genuine safety concerns there and i've watched friends crash because their light just dies it just cuts oh off for God. any number of reasons and i couldn't imagine i couldn't imagine yeah. going down some gnarly rocky sharp rock trail with everything on there and then bam <laughs> it's yeah. like where did it go where'd it go Danny, you also Cal saying Night Rider 900 Lumina is around yeah. 60. So, yeah, and that's, that's a good option for the, it's the Lumina Micro. Um, and the difference between the Micro and the, the regular Lumina is they switch from an 18650 size cell to an 18500. And essentially, all that means to anybody here is that there's a 50% reduction in battery size to the smaller light. Um, so, that aluminum 900 will not maintain 900 lumens for an hour and a half. It, it, you know, starts at 900 and then does this, it just tapers off as the battery dies gotcha. and the battery dies pretty quick, but yeah. it gives you a genuine 900 lumens when you start. And if you use it appropriately, you know, particularly if you're doing like, if like my, my local rides are a long, slow climb and then a ripping fast ascent. So I basically just turn my helmet light off for the climbs. Most of the time, cause I'm going two miles, three miles an hour, whatever. And then on the descent, I turn everything on. So the, the aluminum micro would be a good helmet light option for somebody who's doing rides like that, where maybe they can monitor their runtime and they can still get decent performance on the downhills. And yeah, Knight Rider's not using like cheap garbage parts, you know, they're, they're a reputable brand. So I think that's a, 
a fine budget option for people. Yeah, no, that's a uh, good, good, good uh, feedback on that. Um, but and then let's get back to the outbound lights too, because uh, Trail Pimp is actually saying it is smart to pay a little more for quality. Yeah, quality, quality, which has performance and safety put in there. I'm sure these other lights are are great too. And I'm actually talking from a point of never doing a night ride, so I'm like really interested. In, in getting out and doing one, Lauren's saying, please shout that part from the treetops. This is why we need to go for small, regular-sized business owners and not Amazon. Such a different product. Totally, totally. With yeah, the four I, of you guys in there. I mean, I'm yeah, I, I'm pretty outspoken about how I feel about Bezos and Amazon in general. Um, so I I am all for that. Like, even if you don't buy our lights, yeah, go go buy Night Rider or, or Glowworm. Glowworm makes great lights. Exposure, they're a little expensive in British, but just go buy one of those companies, not Amazon. They don't need to make money off of you. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. So when it comes to mountain biking, Tom, and we were talking about the lights that we have, I think I did. I see that you had an MTB package where it sells the bar light and, and the helmet light and in the helmet light. This will actually get to uh Budo Dave's question. He was asking, do you need to have a light up high to do a night ride? Is basically what he was saying. Ah, yeah. So two very good questions there. Uh, one, yes, our Evo downhill package is, um, oh, and a taillight, also a good question. Um, uh, so we do have that downhill package, which is essentially the bar and helmet together. And the reason we have that is because that's how we design them. We design them specifically to work together. Yeah. So you've got your um, helmet light on the left and the handlebar light on the right. Um, and excuse me, the we, we designed them from an optical standpoint to work together so that the beams blend and so that you don't have those distracting hotspots. And when they overlap, it's not as noticeable. You still see what you want to see, but it, you're not focused on beam shape or an artifact or something weird like that. Um, and you can definitely mix and match, you know, uh, products between different brands and, and swap them around. Um, but that's, that's kind of our ideal. If you're, 95% of night riders, that'll be a really solid setup for them and for, for local trails. Um, whether or not you need a helmet light, you know, that, that question is, again, depends on your use case. Like I was talking to, um, to uh, Clay Harper, who runs a U.S. Open, Fox U.S. Open, and he and his 13-year-old uh, son, they go out and they hit like 30-foot booters at night <laughs> um jeez. Oh, they they don't need handlebar lights for that for a couple of reasons one they're they're like buff smooth jumps right there's not a bunch of rocks sticking up in the the takeoff of the jumps right but also when you're going up your your bike is going up and you can't see the landing now so having a helmet light there is much more critical for them so they can get away with riding with only a helmet light and be totally happy they probably also need a little bit more power too because they're going to hit high speeds to clear a 30 foot jump Sure. Yeah. But if you're like me and when I was living in Arizona in the valley um, and uh, riding dirty was down there, um, the uh, like Phoenix, there's no trees, right? There's cacti. But even if you have a tight switchback in a trail, there's not something blocking the inside corner optically. So right. I rode a lot with just my handlebar light because I could see through those corners, even though it was just that because I had enough peripheral spill from it I had a wide enough beam. Um, and I didn't need my helmet light to stare through the corners. And then I just had less weight, less complexity. And, you know, it was fine for me out there. Um, also less cost if you just want to have one light. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's horses for courses, you know, totally depends. 
Nice. Makes sense. Uh, you also Cal saying great customer service and warranty is always worth another 20 to 30%. Yeah. Yes. There you Remember go. that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That's awesome. And, man. And we, we put a lot of effort into that obviously. Um, and I, I, yeah, there's, there's a reason that it, it does cost money to do that. And part of it is, is on us. Like we just decided early on, if we, say we replace anything that happens regardless of what like crash replacement somebody crashes head first into a tree and breaks their light we'll just replace it we said we're going to do that from the beginning because we wow. feel like that incentivizes us to build a really reliable product and if we didn't then we would go bankrupt replacing it right so i don't like replacing uh, lights that break it's not fun i don't like answering those emails i don't like waking them up to them in the morning but shit happens you know you're mountain biking and um, I still crash quite a bit. I still break stuff. Um, and I, um, I think that we've, we've just decided we're just going to take care of everything. So we're not arguing with customers. I'd much rather just say, all right, here's the light. You're good to go and know that we're still going to, you know, survive as a business. And, um, you know, may we add a few extra dollars in the cost to begin with, but that's because now you have insurance for everything. Right. I, I like it because also it's that strive, strive for perfection. I mean, you're going to see how things failed, how they broke. And then of course you're going to make adjustments to the product in order to avoid having to pay those out later on down the road. So you're constantly always, you know, getting quality products out of that, which is very cool. I'm sure you, what is like the craziest break you've ever seen? You're like, how did they do this? Oh man. Um, there's that many. <laughs> You're like, I can't well, believe. No, there's been there's been a lot of really creative ones, right? Like there was a guy, <laughs> there was a guy in Hawaii who, um, you know, contacted us see if he could get some help with the replacement because he left his light on top of his truck, oh. like on top of the roof, drove oh. away, and he saw it fall off, and it turned on when it hit the road, and <laughs> a truck ran over it, and he oh, went back God. and he got it, and it was still on in the middle of the road. Holy so it's still crap! Working. But that that broke some stuff internally, so you could like shake it and hear things rattling yeah. around. And so I said, "I'll send you a new light, but you have to send that one back to me because I'm going to use that as like a demo." So I've got it somewhere here in the van to show, like, <laughs> yeah, I can get run over by a truck and survive. That's um, amazing. We had one guy that uh, his kid was playing with the light and then left it on the floor, and his dog literally ate it. Um, so like chewed the lens out of the front of it, ripped off half the top shell. You got like teeth marks all over it. I was like, yep, I need that back. That's, that's sitting on my desk at home. But, oh man. You know, every now and then somebody will take a, like a hard digger. Like, uh, actually I think it was last week. Um, guy essentially broke his helmet and his light in half. Like he cracked wow. his helmet. That's a gnarly uh, crash. That's a big yeah. one. New helmet, new, yeah. new helmet light. And I was like, you know, I don't want our lights to break, but at least that was well earned, right? Yeah, and right. Um, I'm I'm glad it at least came off his head and didn't go into his skull. But to totally, um, yeah. Mountain bikers are very creative. Uh, yeah, testing things. I would imagine that you would see that uh, all kinds of different things. Um, one of the uh, guys here uh, that owns a clothing company. Speaking of companies, is Brett Hall from Unspoken. He says, "Hey guys, sorry, uh, Lauren. Thank you for the support. He had sent some stickers over there. He's on the show tonight. So good to see you, Brett. As always, um, had this from Johnny. You wait, a company that backed their product that's worth the money in itself. Love it, love it." 
Lauren saying, for whatever it's worth, I will go out of my way to work with companies with that kind of policy. I think they're worth the premium. Totally. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I, it's kind of why I like talking to to people and talking to customers. It's a lot of uh, time and calories, but I, I, I think I'd make it clear that I'm a human being and like, this is my company, like Matt and I, like, this is our thing. And so if something happens in the field, like that stuff keeps me up at night, I, I take it personally, you know? And so I, I want to fix that stuff because I want to feel comfortable knowing that I can send these products to all of my friends and my family and have all of them use them and love them and not constantly have them saying, Oh, thanks. But you know, this stopped charging or this fell apart or whatever. And because that's embarrassing. So we, yeah, we definitely are going to put all the effort into fix problems in the design side. And like we do that constantly where we're making small tweaks, running changes in production as we find issues. Um, but then, yeah, we're just going to replace stuff because that's honestly what I always want from every bike company. Like if I crash and I break my expensive carbon frame, I really want them to help me replace it. You know, yeah, right. it's my fault, but you know, yeah. So that's, that's kind of our, our attitude. That's very, very cool. What would you say to like somebody say like myself, I've never been night riding before. Um, I, I purchased the kit. Like, how do I put it on the bike? Are there, are there things for the handlebar? Cause I've seen some, I've seen some videos where people have these rubber straps and the thing's shaking like crazy, or I've seen people use like GoPro mounts and figure out how to like attach it to their helmet. But how do I attach these things to my, to my gear? Yeah. Um, it's, it's pretty straightforward. It's obviously dependent on the brand and, and, um, and the product, you know, for our stuff, our handlebar light, we wanted it to be super secure and not shake and wiggle around. So our, our current mount is a, a bolt on clamp style mount, and then it's got a little thumb screw so you can adjust the angle once it's in the mount. Um, so you can get the light nice and positioned properly. Um, and work around other accessories and things. We'll have a, a version three of the mount. We'll have a like a cam lock lever, and we'll get rid of shims and basically have all captive hardware. Minor improvements, but it'll make it easier because it'll all be tool free. Um, and then the helmet light, we just used a GoPro standard because the GoPro standard didn't work well enough for the bars. It did, just didn't hold well enough for what we were trying to do with the product. Um, but for the helmet. It's about the as close as we have to a standard in the industry. And it's still not a standard, which drives me crazy. <laughs> like Bontrager helmet mounts, they have like an, an, a super slick integrated like magnetic mount that pops in and out of the helmet. Whoa. It's GoPro, but it's not because the dimensions are slightly different and our light like fits, but it's really tight. <laughs> and then certain other products don't fit at all. And some fit like the Bontrager stuff fits fine, but then the Bontrager their adapters fit really loosely in GoPro stuff. Everything is just slightly off and it drives me crazy, but <laughs> it's, still, it's still a very simple and very effective setup. So you can, you know, easily change angle and there's a ton of third-party GoPro mounts on the market. So you don't have to come to us for something proprietary. You can just use whatever you have or use the stuff that comes with it. Interesting. That's very cool. And I, I've seen some of the stems people sell out there. I think it's, um, Joey, what's the what's the name of the local uh, company that makes the the grips? I, f I forget their names. They're out of uh, Santee, Cal California, um, but I believe they have a stem that has like a GoPro mount built into it. And I'm wondering if something like that would work for the lights as well, or it it can. Um, and we have we have a GoPro adapter for our handlebar light to do that uh -huh. for, and it works with like the PNW um, stem. 
they have one. I've got one of those on my hardtail actually, and and it works. Um, it just depends on the light. Like I think that'll work better for some other companies' lights actually because of the kind of the geometry of them. Okay. Um, Rev but, sense. but like our our handlebar mount, you can see on. Oh yeah, Rev. Um, you can see on the the right there. It the idea is that we're putting the light front and center, right in front of the stem, so that it's out of the way. It's positioned nicely. It's not like up on top of your bars off to the side or something weird. It's more like you'd have a helmet, uh, a light on a motorcycle or something. Yeah, centered, um, right? Yeah. So I mean, I like our mounts. They're not perfect, but we've already made multiple changes and we're going to keep improving them. So that's cool. So easy, easy to go. Like I could, I could get these things put them on and then just take off for the ride. And as, as, as far as, as far as actual performance and riding out there, um, how much time do you have on, on these lights for outbound? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, we've got, we're, we're now in the tens of thousands of customers range. So we're, you know, we've got a lot of lights out there. And so that's, oh, and this is another thing that is pretty, this happens all the time in the bike industry. And I'm only going to mention it because one, it drives me nuts from a customer service standpoint, but also I'm not immune to it. And it's called experience bias. It's where you have a product from a company like this. This happened to the reverb um, dropper post years ago. It was a flawed design, but people would have it. It would have one failure. And then what happens is, oh, I had it and it failed. So I'm never using that again. And then you tell your friends and then none of them use it. And it's because that person has had one out of one fail. That's a hundred percent failure rate. I, however, being the manufacturer, I have access to all this customer data. So I know that, you know, this one customer managed to get water inside their light. They're like, well, this light should be waterproof and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, first of all, I'm going to replace it. Secondly, you're, you've had one failure. I've had four failures total out of 8,000 of those that we've shipped. Wow. Like it's, you're not going to have this happen statistically, but for that person, now they're not going to trust it because they've had that one, one experience. Their experience bias says, oh, I don't know if I can take this out in the wet. And I, I really try to, to convey that to people, not just for our stuff, but for other companies' products too. Like, you know, if you have a carbon rim and it breaks, that doesn't mean that the design is bad. It doesn't mean that it, you know, is necessarily a manufacturing flaw or that you can never trust them again. It's, you know, that stuff happens and it's yeah, okay. Right. De definitely so. It's not the norm. Those are the outliers when they happen like that. Yeah. So like if I, if I'm fully charged and Joe and I are getting up and we say we go to Greer, uh, which is one of our locals out here, how long do you think we can ride with those lights as far as how much, how long they illuminate before we have to start heading back towards the trucks? It, again, it kind of depends on your use case. So is, is Greer like more cross country loops where you're just constantly pedaling and moving, or is it like a longer climb to a longer descent? Yeah, we got the climb with the descent with the, we would need those lights because there's like rocks and drops and jumps and everything, all the good yeah. stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, so for someone like that, I would say that's why we have, we have a, a kind of an adaptive and then a high, medium, low. And high and low is basically what you use for that enduro style ride where you put it on low for the climbs to conserve your battery. And also when you have less light, your eyes, your pupils start to dilate more. You adapt to the darkness more. So everything looks a little bit brighter. So when you turn it up to high again, everything will feel even Ooh, brighter. Yeah. It's a fun trick to play. But also Ooh. like my my local Tuesday night rides are in an area where it's, you know, 500 foot climbs, but it's steep up and down. So I will 
you know, I'll ride for two hours and barely be into half the battery because I'm turning on low for the climbs, Man. but I still have a hundred percent for the descents. And if you're the type of rider who just doesn't like to think about that and you just turn it on high and leave it alone, then yeah, you maybe need to time your rides a little more carefully, but, um, you, you can, you have options. I love it. I love it. No, that, that sounds good. It sounds like I can get a good ride in for, for these, for these lights. And, you know, just coming from no experience, I think the outbound is going to be the way for me to go. I see other people in here saying the same thing. Uh, send Nari Greer, let's ride at night. Definitely, let's let's all get a night ride in. I mean, the it's to to you being a co-owner of a light company for mountain bikes. Do you see it as seasonal or is this a, a perennial thing? It, it, I feel like I say it depends to every question you ask. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so okay. <laughs> in, in Arizona, it's it's all year round. Um, you know, in, in the winter because it gets dark early, in the summer because it's hot as balls and you got to get up while it's still dark or right after it drops below 100 and get a ride in. In Pacific Northwest, it's very seasonal because in the summer to do a night ride, you have to start your ride at 11 p.m. because um, it just it stays late. It stays light out for so long. So, um, wow. you know, it's it's very oh, seasonal man. for certain people where it's a necessity, like you have to do it. Um, and then for others, it's, you know, because I like night riding and I just do it all year round. Love it. Love it. I can definitely see as a family man myself, I can see where it would be very it would be applicable to to my lifestyle. Um, oh, for sure. I have a hard I have a hard time just like doing getting home on the on the day rides on time. Okay. <laughs> so it's, it's just so fun out there. Um let's see MTB raging saying oh uh, Johnny's saying hey it's my birthday in a couple of weeks. I know what I want now. Definitely. <laughs> so let's also touch base on okay so premium product uh performance obviously two engineers putting this together so we we can definitely trust that uh, this product is going to work well. Thousands of people writing it. Very rarely do I think that these things, you, you probably, you know, the price point is where it's at. But once a year, you have a Thanksgiving sale, I believe. And that's coming up here soon. Yeah. And and just a quick story on that is we just, we, we're trying not to be a company that's trying to hook people into a sale with discounts and, and sales all the time. Um, we're trying to just price things honestly, where we can sustain that and, um, still deliver a really good product. Um, and I don't like being the hard salesman. I would much rather you just choose what's right for you. And, and I hope that it's our stuff. Um, but yeah, every year around, uh, Thanksgiving, we usually basically see people like get to the beginning of the week and Thanksgiving and they stop buying stuff because they're waiting for the black Friday sales or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah. So we usually just have a couple of days worth of sales around there around that time. Um, just, uh, you know, because it's a good time of year for Christmas gifts for people. Um, you know, it's, it's where everybody in the U S buys stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, that's good. You're, Right, Dirty says it's my birthday too soon. <laughs> so you at least have some birthday presents there in the mix, uh, which which would be coming your way. And uh, man, I can't believe we already hit an hour with you, Tom. That's crazy, man. It it goes so fast. Is there anything about the lights or the engineering or the science behind it that maybe we didn't get to share? Yes, <laughs> a lot, <laughs> <laughs> a ton of stuff. Uh, where do you want to start? Um, but. No, I'd say like for you touched on it a little bit, but like for you, somebody who hasn't gone night riding before, 
I, I don't think anybody, like if you're, if you've never night, gone night riding before, doesn't mean you have to go out and buy a set of our lights tomorrow. Just go get some lights from somewhere and just go try it. And if you've got crap lights for, that you're borrowing from a friend, go try it anyways, because that's how most people got into mountain biking is by borrowing somebody's crappy like, little brother's <laughs> bike or something. So true. And you, you eventually realized, oh, well, now I've got a nicer bike and I, it's worth the money because I can appreciate it better. Just go out and night ride and just see what it's like and um, know that whatever you have, there's a way that it could be better. And then come look us up. Yeah, no, I'm I'm definitely going to. Uh, folks that are out there, take a look at Outbound Lighting for your night riding um, enjoyment. Tom, tell them where they could get these lights. What What's the website there? And where can um, they follow you on Instagram? <laughs> they can follow us on Instagram. We honestly, like I, I do a lot of the posting and I, I don't do social media. So, so we don't put a ton of effort into Instagram, but definitely follow us. Um, that's cool. Uh, outboundlighting.com is our site, the best place to get us direct. Um, we also do have um, local bike shops that we support. Um, we haven't been able to push that out like to every shop in the country. Um, and we don't have a list published on the website yet. We are going to do that at some point. It's just keep finding other things to do. Um, <laughs> but like in the Phoenix Valley, if you're in the Phoenix area, there's like I think five, maybe six shops now that stock our stuff. Um, if you find someone local like Fanatic up in Bellingham or um, Mojo Cycles down in Bentonville, like there's there's options kind of scattered all over um, that you can get us locally too. Gotcha. Okay, so check them out, outboundlights.com, outboundlights on Instagram. And then uh, there it is, outbound lighting right there on Instagram. Joey's got it pulled up. Look at that. It shows, uh, look, oh yeah, trail riding, the stoke. There's a lot of great information there. If you want to learn more about outbound lighting, and I believe there's probably a link right to the website, uh, which is cool. Oh, look at that Rivian. I saw a Rivian on there. Is that your, is that, oh, look at that truck, dude. <laughs> that, that, that is dope. Talk about electricity right there. Yeah. The that, truck. that thing's pretty nuts. That is, that, beautiful, <laughs> beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Um, Not a headquarters. That's awesome. Tom, dude, thank you so much for jumping on the, the podcast with us. Really appreciate the information. Um, folks, as you know, time is changing for uh, for us out here on the West Coast. Um, if you find yourself looking for time, consider going on a night ride. I'm going to be joining this night ride thing and checking it out. I'm going to film a video and do all that. I'm actually going to get myself a, a set of outbound lights here, uh, get on the website and check it out from Tom. But I uh, hope you guys can can do the same as well. And uh, thank you so much for joining. And uh, anything else that you would like to add, Tom, before we close it out? Yeah, this is great. Thanks for having me on. Everybody get out there and ride. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Folks, we will see you all soon. Thank you for jumping on the podcast. Thank you to the chat. As always, great to see everybody from across the country, from the East Coast to the West Coast, the North and the South. It's crazy. I love it. See you guys out there soon. Tom, thanks again. Outbound lights, baby. Oh, senders, and just like that, another episode of the segment podcast has gone by, and that was episode 89. If you caught it live, thank you so much for being on the show. Always appreciate it. So much fun in the chat and going back and forth and learning a ton of things. Tom Place was a special guest on episode 89 from Outbound Lights. I actually 
got off the show and ordered some lights for myself and for Mr. Uncaged MTB, Joey Yates. We're going to be rocking a pair of outbound lights, riding the trails out there at night and experiencing what that coolness is like. Hope you guys also are able to get yourself a set of lights. There was great information in the show, whether it's outbound or another one of the companies that Tom had mentioned. Hope it really helps you out with the progression of your sport at night. Without further ado, folks, I will leave you with this one. Remember, always dream big. Those dreams come to you for a reason. Take action on those dreams and set those little goals so that you can achieve them and get to the spot where you're living your dream. Why not, right? It's our life. We only get one of it. Might as well shoot for the top. Hope you guys are doing well. And uh, hey, see you all on the next episode or out on the trails. We out.